When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello and welcome to this very special interview episode of the Band Biographies podcast with me, your host, Tom Austin Morgan. Band Biographies is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network of music-based podcasts. Be sure to visit pantheon.com to find a whole host of different types of show on all sorts of music. It's an honour to be placed amongst such brilliant podcasts. On this episode, I talk to Zach Blair, lead guitarist of Rise Against. If this is your first time listening to Band Biographies, have a look through the back catalogue, as well as loads of interviews with musicians from bands like Sham69, The Prodigy, Adamant and Ash, to independent bands and acts, record label bosses, DJs and comedians. There are also documentaries about various punk and new wave bands, which is how this podcast started out. These include The Sex Pistols, The Clash, The Damned, Susie and the Banshees, The Slits, Stiff Little Fingers, X-Ray Specs, Generation X and Billy Idol, Adam and the Ants and more. There's something for everyone to dig into and enjoy. I met Zach, or should that be I stalked him, on the ferry back from both of our European tours in November and he was such a gentleman. He put his hand out to shake mine first, he gave me a lot of time and asked about the tour, about this podcast and told me about his own brilliant podcast Anti-Heroes with Zach Blair upon which he talks with other guitarists that he admires about their guitars, setups and equipment. He also told me about the other bands he's been in including Hagfish, Armstrong, Only Crime and most astounding to me, Guar, some of which he talks about on this episode. He also invited me to the Brixton Academy show Rise Against was playing the next night, but if you've listened to part two of my tour diaries, you'll know I found out that I'd caught Covid while on tour and couldn't make it to the show. Hopefully I'll catch them next time. 
However, he agreed to sit down with me to record this interview, and due to various things going on in his life, including renovations on his house, we only got 40 minutes to chat, so I was jettisoning questions left, right and centre to keep it on the interesting stuff, rather than rambling too much and allowing the conversation to get too freeform. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Enjoy. Zach Blair, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Yeah, man. It's it's interesting how this came about, meeting hmm. you randomly on a ferry <laughs> from France to England. Uh yeah. yeah, it's I've had I've always had really weird experiences on those things. Uh, <laughs> my first time I was ever on one in the 90s, some guys tried to bribe us to buy extra duty-free stuff for them. <laughs> right. Okay. And the cops were looking for them on the boat. And as you well know, those things, if there's like one cop, you know, good luck, because those things are like labyrinths, you know, you can really get, <laughs> get lost on them. And so I think they got busted. I don't know. I don't remember how it ended, but that was like my first experience on a ferry. And like I was like 20 years old or something like that. So anyway. They're strange places to be on. They are. Like basically just floating duty free in bar. All in yeah, basically. It's like this, this, it's not real time. You know, it's like this, this time suspended experience. Yeah. I feel the same about airports as well. Whenever you're in an airport, you're in international space. So like, it's just, there is for no sure. time zone, you know? For sure. But yeah, I wanted to thank you first off for being so nice to me on the ferry and me kind of uh, trapping you in the corridor. and. Mm. I wasn't that. And at the all. fact that you were you were so you were straight in with the sh the shake of the hand, and uh, yeah, we had a really nice conversation and stuff, and it was uh, it was cool. So thank you so much. Well, I always felt like, and you're welcome, absolutely. And I always felt, you know, if I was ever in a position where I was lucky enough that somebody actually wanted to meet me, you know, that I would never, um, no matter what I was doing or had going on, I would make time to talk to that person because who, you know, at the end of the day, who the fuck am I, you know, except I'm a guy who just wanted to play guitar for a living. That's, mm. that's all this, this, this all was in the first place. It was just, I just wanted to do this and only this. And I got rewarded with the ability to do that. And, and yes, it took a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication and, you know, practice and all that shit, but still, you know, the allotment of this job that I get to do, I breathe this rarefied air, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's not much, you know, there's not, there's not that many people that get to do this. Mm, mm. And so I realized how lucky I am. So if anybody wants to talk to me about that or me period, you know, to me, I'm still this dipshit from Sherman, Texas that somehow made it out and somehow am still making it out because, you know, the people I grew up with, you know, they're in prison, they're on drugs, they stayed in our fucking terrible town. Um, they're, you know, Trump supporting pieces of shit, you know, whatever. Um, so uh if I should be so blunt. So so I get to do this. I, I get to try I met you on a ferry from France to fucking England. You know, no one in my family ever ever has done that. So mm -hmm. how important and special is it that I'm getting to do that? Um, so no, I, I the pleasure's all mine, man. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. Well, actually, there's a couple of uh, questions in there already, really. Was it was it always guitar with you? We Did you come from a musical family? Were there, were there instruments in the house? You know, um, I came from a very musical household, but my my dad was a radio DJ. So he was like a classic rock 
radio DJ. So his he would go to work at 10 and be there all night. So he had the all night sort of request hour and he would he was really into the heavier stuff, like the heavier stuff of the time. So mm. he was into Black Sabbath and Hendrix and the Who and Blue Cheer. And, you know, he got deep. He was like a he was kind of an OG record store snob. You know, he was he was that guy. And he was obsessed with music, obsessed. He just had missed his window. You know, he didn't start practicing at anything when he was a kid. I think he wanted to play drums at one point. But he was kind of like a football dad with my brother and I. My brother's also a professional musician. He's a bassist. Mm. And uh, he plays in a band called the Toadies, which they've made it to the UK once or twice. But they don't. It's it's unfortunate because um, he uh, they're an amazing band. And they had a huge hit over here uh, a few years back or some time ago. Huge record. They're sort of ubiquitous on, on rock and roll radio over in the States. Right. And um Anyway, they, my dad got us started real early and sort of like put these things in our hands and was kind of like, you know, did you practice today and things like that. So he really had a, a plan for us, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But but again, maybe it was born out of just wanting to impress my dad, but it also was the thing I was obsessed with. So it was uh, the thing that got me. It's literally always been there to sort of save me from my environment. Mm-hmm. I hated where I was from. So Sherman was a place that you wanted to get out of, right? Yes. And Sherman wanted me out of there. You right. know what I mean? Like my brother and I were weirdo kids. We listened to punk rock and metal in this conservative Republican Christian town. Mm-hmm. You know, we wore upside down crosses on our shirts and, you know, fuck Reagan and stuff like that. So it, it was my escape. It was my hobby. It was my passion. It was just all I ever wanted to do. There was no, I never wanted to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And it got me out, you know, and so I, I, to the aforementioned, you know, that's why I sort of still, you know, pray at its altar, you know, it, it is sort of my everything. But, but yeah, it was all just about sort of, sort of rebelling and getting out of that place. But I'm sorry, I tend to go on your original. No, no, that's fine. It was very musical. So, so we would, we would hawk the TV set, my parents, or, but they would never hawk the stereo, you know. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, it was one of those things. I mean, cause we were also very, very poor. Very broke. My dad, he was a radio DJ. They didn't make shit. My mother was a florist at a grocery store. Mm. You know, that's 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 what it was. You know, yeah, I mean? right. Okay. And so it must be pretty hard to pinpoint maybe a single song or a band or an artist that kind of made you think for the first time, oh, I want to do that as a career. Or maybe try and just make that my life, you know? Heavy rock music. I think for other people, that would probably be an easy answer. Mm. But for me, rock and roll music and loud guitar music was ubiquitous. So it would have been more of like an entire band's oeuvre, you know, an entire right. yeah, band's yeah. entire work. So it would be like early ZZ Top from the 70s. Right. Which, if you know, you're a rock and roll fan from the te- from Texas. Black Sabbath, the first four records. Uh, the Who, the entire collection. You know, uh, Tommy was on an eight track that was just spun constantly. Yeah. You know, Um Oh, God damn. Uh, Robin Trower, you know, the great, great British guitar player, um, mm-hmm. you know, but but also, you know, the the Yardbirds and Led Zeppelin and 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 all of Led Zeppelin's work. That was my dad's favorite band, you know. It, mm-hmm. So it, was, it, it really is such a hard. There was not one specific song. It was just the Beatles, you know, sure. or Black <laughs> Sabbath or you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of figured that might have been the answer that you give, bearing in mind what your parent or your dad especially did. Yeah. Is that something that in later life has kind of spurred you on to do the podcast as well? Because you've got a podcast called Antiheroes with Zach Blair. Yeah. Is that a kind of full circle moment to having your own, almost like your own radio show, right? You know, it's funny you say that because it's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. My wife and I, I was like, man, I think my dad, my dad would be very proud of my success as a musician. But he would also, I think he would secretly be a little more proud of the fact that I'm sort of nowadays version of a radio announcer. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I I talk into a microphone and I interview people and and I use tricks that I learned from him, you know, with my speaking voice. And, uh, you know, I try not to say, I, I try to watch what I'm, you know, like, I don't want to say like too much. I don't want to yeah. say um too much, but I, which I do. I definitely don't censor myself because I can't speak without cussing at all because that's just the lifetime on the road with a bunch of pirates. But um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I was just saying that the other day that I think my dad would be most proud of that. Because mm. you know? you've yeah. had some, what, what I like about the show is that as much as it's about gear and being a bassist, I'm, I'm not as into gear as guitarists tend sure. to be. But it's interesting hearing people like, for example, Scott Shiflett never used a guitar pedal until he was in the Foo Fighters. Yeah. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but you know what's interesting about that is like that's when I met Scott was 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 years before that, as, as you heard on the podcast. And both of us were traveling in vans and it was all about getting the stuff out of the trailer into the gig. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times that gig had a staircase. Specifically, there's a place called the Masquerade in Atlanta, Georgia. They have like this weird old grain silo elevator that, or they did, it was on like a chain outside and you would lug all your gear onto that. And then it was like a, a platform that this chain would take up, <laughs> you know, real perilous stuff. Yeah. I remember there was a gig in Victoria, BC in uh, British Columbia Island out, you know, off the coast of Vancouver. Hmm. And it was a straight shot fire escape staircase that was i mean 200 steps i don't know wow. it was you could almost touch the step in front of you as you were walking up it so you're trying to load an ampeg svt you know being a bass player eight an 810 which we mm -hmm. did my brother uh this was a van called hackfish i had in the 90s with with my brother and you know you're looking at the staircase at you know, like there's no fucking way like what how are we supposed to do this so you really want to figure out a way to to maximize your thing with the least amount of shit to take. Mm. And so when he said that, I was like, I identify with you, man. I didn't either. I didn't use pedals until I was in Guar. And then I used a crybaby. And then in Rise Against, I, we didn't use pedals for the longest time. Wow. Uh, I didn't even l l use a lead boost until I, one day I just said, fuck it. And I added an MXR Phase 90 because of Eddie Van Halen. And, and then a lead boost. And now I've got like, you know, even as whatever we're doing now the bigger places are bigger and all that shit i i still have a small pedal board but mm -hmm. then again if you research a lot of guys zach wilde has a very small pedal board ingvay malmstein tom morello you know it's still that sort of ethic that sort of spirit that i can't ever get out of me because i was you know blue collar touring guy i hate to, you know not disparage any sort of blue because those guys work harder than i've ever worked in my life a real blue collar job but it was all about doing it yourself driving your own van, sleeping on floors, getting up to do the next gig to no one that didn't give a fuck for barely any money. But, you know, I was also a child, so it was the greatest thing in the world. And I, you know, it was the best time of my life. 
but that that spirit lives on and it's funny that it also still lives on in chris mm. who is in the world's biggest band you know he's not on amp profilers he's not any of that shit he has two half stacks and a pedal board and his guitars you know mm. it's it's that's what i think was most impressive about that guy and it says a lot about him yeah you know? And I think it's funny because, um, you know, I've, I've been in covers bands as well in the past and people trying to emulate those sounds have got pedal boards that have got, you know, yeah. 10 pedals in them trying to emulate those sounds of people who weren't using that no. much equipment in the first place. So it's just it's interesting because it's a constant question on your podcast is, is it the gear or is it the player? And it yeah. seems to be most times people say it's the player, isn't it? You I know? need it. I need to quit asking that because I know the answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's such a silly, it's like, it's always the player. Mm. Always, mm. you know, mm. because let's say there is a sound or a noise like a whammy pedal that you can't do with your fingers or your hands or whatever it might be. But it's up to that player to know how to do that specific thing that he's doing with that whammy pedal. Mm. That yes, he probably couldn't do without that pedal, but he knows you know exactly you know the the sweep on it or whatever it might be where it's set for his own thing he's he's dialed that in mm. uh which is much the case with tom morello i've studied his you know we've we've i've had the fortune of playing many 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 shows wow. with morello and uh with rage against the machine and prophets of rage and his his solo style everything and constantly picking his brain and he's so patient and and nice about it you know because he was eddie van halen for the 90s you know simply put and reinvented a guitar and mm -hmm. so he's always so willing to show me everything you know and a lot of it's just like it was just in his head you know mm -hmm. so it's definitely the player even though he couldn't do what he's doing without that pedal it's still very much him he's the one who knows what he's doing with his own gear right? absolutely to get he's from another he wants he's from another planet you know he's so yeah. dialed differently yeah so who's um who's surprised you on your podcast so far and who would be a dream guest for you to get hmm that's a good question. Man. Well, what surprised me is, is, and this is when I started the podcast for, I really wanted to meet guitar players from all walks of life, people that I didn't know. So like, you know, a lot of those people are people I know, Brian Baker, Michael Dirks, Chris Shiplett, Stephen Edgerton. I said Scott earlier on, didn't I? What an idiot. Did I oh, say no, it's his brother. It's his it's Chris. <laughs> it's people call me Donnie all the time. That's my brother. But what, is ever surprising as I continue the journey. And what I love about it is I can really happen into a conversation with any of these people that I'm talking to because of this shared love for this thing and our shared experience of being professional musicians. Hmm. There's almost a vernacular. There's a secret code. We smell our own. And I feel like I've known every one of them, even though we're talking through a device hmm. and I've never met them in my life. I feel like I make friends every time. Hmm. And I feel like I'm, you know, like I said, I feel like I've known them. We're, we have inside jokes already. We have this code we speak because we've all done this. And that renews my faith in humanity. You know, I live in Texas mm. still. I'm born and raised in Texas. And there's a lot of times, you know, I, I get my spirit broken with humanity because of the political system that is sort of ever present in this state. Mm. Uh, rights taken away from women to control their own bodies um gun laws immigration laws you know things like that um like it's constantly breaking my spirit but every time i do a podcast i get off of that interview and i'm like i feel much better i know mm. there's there's hope for humanity i feel like there's hope for me socially 
you know, that I met somebody else that is like-minded. I have something mm-hmm. in common with that I could talk to at a party or a function, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and feel like I really had a connection with this person. And it gives me that amazing feeling of when you know you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, I chose yeah, the yeah, right yeah. thing in the world for me. I'm on the right path. I'm so glad I did this. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm doing this. I'm so lucky. And that goes back to your first introduction here, which is that's why I'll always make time for another musician. Yeah. It, that's my chosen people. You know, that's my culture. My wife and I were just having this talk. My wife's from Mexico and her culture is so rich, so beautiful and so wonderful. She's so happy and proud to be a Mexican and to be from Mexico. And I was telling her, I'm, I'm a white guy from Texas. You know, I can trace my culture back to England and Scotland and Ireland. Yeah. Blair. Yeah. Now that part of it's interesting. Once it got here to America, boring, nothing. Food's terrible. You know what I mean? There's no... <laughs> no fucking culture you know the white people in america the texans and the fucking that you know maybe it's texan culture i don't have texan pride because political the way they fucking vote so so fuck it right my culture is musicians my culture is what we all do it's 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 getting in a van like chris shiflett and i did Mm. and touring and playing to no one and then playing to a lot of people all that shit it's all the same thing and those are the people that's my my language that's my culture that's what i have the most um heart in yeah you know i saw a picture of the deep bellum area of dallas which is where i grew up which is where i cut my teeth and where i and that is nostalgic to me Mm -hmm. not the town i grew up in i could see the high school i was from and basically just get chills all over my body for bad reasons just like (laughs) sure sure i don't want to say that shit again but i see deep bellum which is a place where I feel like I really went to college and got a PhD in doing this. <laughs> and that's my chosen, my, my chosen people, my mm-hmm. chosen family, my chosen, you know. Well, it's interesting because I wrote a tour diary while I was going around Europe with Sham. And right. um, I've just been recording it with a friend of mine so that he's asking questions as I'm going through it. And the thing that keeps coming up is like, it's not necessarily about the gigs themselves. It's about the people that I meet afterwards and have conversations with those are the things that have stuck in my mind, not necessarily the gigs. And it's people being able to talk about politics, how fucked up the world is like just kind of on a one-to-one human level. I think that's, that's always for me is like, and that's why I do this. That's why I try to reach out to people who I've never met before, kind of pick their brains about what they do, but also make a human connection with someone and hopefully find some common ground. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Which I find with any other musician, it's, it's there, Mm. you know, no matter what level you're doing it at, you still have rehearsed in a shitty rehearsal room that with beer stains and holes kicked in the wall and some fucking weirdo living in one of his, you know, the space (laughs) down the street, down the hall. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we all have that, those experiences. Yeah. You know, gear breaking on stage, uh, traveling all night to a gig, no one being there, selling your own merch, whatever it might be. Mm. The sound guy being a fucking dick. Yeah. Doesn't want to be there. You know, virtually all of those things happened on this tour. I just absolutely. (laughs) And they all and they will continue to. Yeah, they will continue. It's a shared experience. Mm. You know, I don't know anything about being in an office and I'm so glad I don't, Mm. you know, 
there's nothing i'm not disparaging that line of work or, or you know no, anybody else it's line just of work. your own lived experience it, isn't it? exactly yeah. i just would not function well i know i would wash out i would be a homeless person i would be you know i i just i'm not wired that way and i suppose talking about shared experiences and stuff like how was it playing in a band and touring or many bands actually with your brother because it wasn't just Hagfish you played in, right? It's a, a, a couple of bands. Yeah, we had a band called Only Crime together with Bill Stevenson, who records Rise Against Music. It's also Descendants and Black Flag and mm-hmm. all, and you know, the legendary Bill Stevenson. Yeah. You know, that is my sort of uh, first gear, you know? That's my go-to. That's my comfort. He's my family. He's my, you know. Yeah. He's, we, it's just us. We don't have other siblings. It's just me and my brother. Right. We talk every day to this day. We just got off the phone. He lives in Texas, but he lives about nine hours away from me. And Texas is such a fucking huge state. Mm, yeah. And, you know, and he also tours almost contrapuntal to, to me, you know, like he'll be out, I'll be out and whatever. So that was my wand. Both of our want was to tour together and be in the same band for the rest of our lives. But of course, life doesn't work that way. You know, who knows what would have happened to Hagfish. Our singer just, it just ended up not continuing for him. So yeah. the band broke up and we had to find other things. I, I then joined Guar right after Hackfish. Yeah. I couldn't continue doing that because, you know, it's very well documented, uh, especially in a new documentary called This is Guar, which I advise everybody to try to see. But Dave had developed a habit that I saw getting worse and worse, and I didn't mm. want to stick around to be a part of it. So with Guar, like how, how did how did that come about? Like, how did you get into the room and kind of into that character? Well, the bassist for Guar at the time was a guy named Casey Orr. He is now the bassist again. He's come and gone a few times. He's from Dallas. And he was in Dallas's premier thrash band, uh, Rigor Mortis. Mm-hmm. See, Pantera were not like, they became a speed metal thrash band in the 90s. Yeah. In the 80s, they were a glam metal band that were spandex. That's and right. no, And we did not like them, you know. <laughs> Me and all my dirthead metalhead friends did not like Pantera. We liked Rigor Mortis. Rigor Mortis were a thrash metal band. You know, like there was no fucking bones about it. Like they were ugly, big motherfuckers <laughs> that could have killed you. We loved them. And so they would tour with like all the bands we were listening to, you know, Death Angel, Dark Angel, whatever. We saw them opening for Slayer and met them. You know, we were like 14. Our dad drove us to the show because wow. Sherman's about an hour away from Dallas. And anyway, lo and behold, after we had started our band Hackfish, Casey was also really into punk. Hackfish was trying to just rip off the Descendants. That's all it was. <laughs> and then Bill, that's how I met Bill Stevenson. We opened for the all. And right. then Bill and Stefan started recording Hackfish records. As a matter of fact, also in a documentary, uh, the Filmage documentary, we were one of the first bands they recorded at the Blasting Room, which is where Rising Against still records. So, mm. I mean, we were like, the second band they recorded uh in 1995 i was 20 so i'm dating myself but <laughs> you know every two or three years since then i've been at the in fort collins colorado making a record for two or three months mm. you know? well that was another little kind of connection that we had is that i also interviewed i knew a guy who worked on the blasting room documentary yeah i saw that on your thing uh, aaron pendergast the guy who actually is directing the documentary i had him on a few months ago and so I think he sat down with you and... and he, Yeah, he, he sure did. That he sure did. Good so. guy. Well, it's weird because they're doing one of the blasting room. And yeah. then this other documentary was of the sort of Descendants All Bill and everything else. Yeah. But anyway, so so Hagfish had broken up. Casey had started coming to Hagfish shows when he was on tour, when he was off tour from Guar. 
how he got into Guar is rigor mortis broke up. Al Jorgensen from ministry took rigor mortis as guitar player. A guy named Mike Scotia, who was a mentor to me, probably one of the world's greatest speed metal guitar players. He joined ministry early nineties. Mind is a terrible thing to taste to her. Well, actually late eighties. And they did stuff with Guar ministry and Guar. This is early nineties. Guar's guitar player left the band. Mike said, I know a guy in Dallas. It was a guy named Pete Lee from a band called Sedition. Another Dallas, real Dallas thrash speed metal band that we all love. And uh, then Pete was in Guar. So after Pete's in Guar for a while, their bassist, Mike Bishop, leaves the band, who was Beefcake the Mighty at the time. He is now the singer. He came back right. after yeah, yeah. died, right? So it's this fucking confusing. <laughs> so he got another Dallas friend to play bass, Casey Orr. So there's two Dallas guys in Guar now, even though they are a band from Richmond, Virginia. They have this Dallas connection. So Casey had started coming to see Guar, uh, Hackfish shows. We broke up. He knew we broke up. They f- had fired Pete at this point. So Casey dips back into Dallas and asks me, because he knew I was a speed metal kid, because I'd met him in the 80s, like 88, <laughs> you know, at his show opening for Slayer. Even though he didn't know I could play metal because he had been seeing me play just Descendants, you know, punk rock. He took a risk. He was like, hey, man, we're auditioning players. Do you want to come out? And I went and got the gig. I didn't expect to get the gig. I just thought it would be a story I could tell on podcasts, you know, essentially. <laughs> like I when they were invented. <laughs> right. And how much kind of input did you have over the characterization of the suit and how difficult was it to play in? Well, that character was pretty established. It was Flatus Maximus, which they retired. They killed him off because mm-hmm. Corey Smoot that replaced me, he did it for about 10 years and then he died, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So they killed the character. So when I stepped in, Pete had done the character with like a Texas accent, mm-hmm. like a very, like a hick. And I was good at that because I have a fucking thick Texas accent. And I'm, I fight constantly to not talk. You know, but <laughs> words escape all the time. I say y'all all the time and everything. So that, that was easy for me. So I had a lot of creative freedom in the band as far as writing goes. They needed somebody to sort of come in and help write. And so we we made a great record together called uh, Violence Has Arrived mm. that I'm real proud of and uh, did that. And then, you know, the fu- the terrible thing. Um, and I'm but I, 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 I went back. Uh, Corey died and. They wanted to keep going and mm-hmm. they were like in a, they were, they were finishing a tour and the idea was they were going to go home and start writing for the new record. So they came through Dallas as a four piece. Corey died on tour. They kept touring. They didn't cancel the tour. They kept going wow. Came through down Dal, uh, Dallas, Austin. Sorry. Sometimes I still feel like I live in Dallas and um, asked me to come out and come back and write. So I almost, of course I did. And uh, in between, Rise Against tours, I was flying to Richmond, Virginia, and I was in that room again with Guar. Oh, wow. Writing and working on a record. So there's a record called Battle Maximus, which is two records ago, I believe, maybe three. And I wrote half of it and I played on half of it. So I got to play speed metal again and sweep arpeggios and do the whole thing. It was it was awesome. And it ended up being Dave Brocky's last record. So I'm so thankful that I was able to make it time in my schedule to go do that because Dave then died as they were touring that record. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. I didn't realize that you'd gone back to, to write some yeah. of this stuff. I'm so glad I did. Yeah, I can imagine. And so was it the Bill Stevenson connection again that found you in Rise Against or? 
Yeah, you know, so we were doing the Only Crime band and we had toured with Rise Against. I had met the guys on their first record because a buddy of ours, Phil Hill, who has been in a band called the Teen Idols, mm-hmm. was subbing for Rise Against after their first guitar player, Dan, had gotten had left the band. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And Phil was subbing and Phil was my buddy because Hagfish, our second record was on Honest Dons, which was Fat Records. And so was Teen Idols. So we had done a bunch together. I didn't know the Rise Against guys. I just knew they were a new band on Fat Rack and I liked their stuff. And I went out and met them then. And then cut to a few years later, Only Crime toured with them. And we became really close. Like we I had a little sort of friendship with every one of the bands, hmm. uh, bands, every one of the members. And just sort of, again, like this thing we're talking about, just spoke the same language, smelled our own, got along, had something in common with each of them. Each one of them reminded me of a, of a friend that I'd already had, you know, specifically and uh, became fast friends. And so it wasn't too long after that tour, maybe a year, a year and a half. It wasn't an audition process. They had asked Bill if he thought that I would be a good fit. And Only Crime was a part-time band because Bill was really busy making records. Sure. Uh, this was sort of his heyday at the Blasting Room. And he was getting burned out. And Russ Rankin from Good Riddance had called me right when I quit Guar. And he wanted to start a band with guys that didn't drink, smoke, or do drugs. He didn't want it to specifically be a straight edge band and put X's on our fists and all that shit. But he just knew that I didn't do that and never had. And he was kind of sick of dealing with that in his own band. So he wanted to start a new thing. He already had Aaron from Bane, Aaron Dahlbeck. You know, he was going to do it. So I brought in my brother who also was a teetotaler and uh bill heard about this and was like that's exactly what i'm looking for i've got to get out of the studio right. you know i've got to get out of here I'm, I'm 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 burning out and he wanted to get back on tour and play so that also meant it was around his schedule which was maybe a two year two tours two three tours a year you know mm. and bill know, knew that i wanted more i i wanted to be busier i wanted to do this with my life and so Rise Against came to him and he didn't think twice, you know, we've been family as long as we have. And he knew I would be good for the gig. So he was, he, he recommended me a hundred percent and I'll, I'll never be able to thank him enough for that. And so, yeah, it wasn't an audition or anything. It was just like, learn oh, these wow. songs. We're, we're leaving in two weeks. Let's go. <laughs> and so my first tour was with, oh, it was the My Chemical Romance Black Parade Tour Wow! from like coast to coast. We did that. And then that was 2007, like January of 2007. And we just toured the entire year. And imagine those were quite large crowds as well, right? <laughs> yeah, it was bananas. It was bananas. Yeah. And Rise was doing really well on its own at that yeah. point. It wasn't until the next, the, my first record with the band, uh, Appeal to Reason, where it went you know it really i was gonna went. say there was a real kind of the albums that came out after you joined the band really kind of they all went top five in america or something yeah right? so like i mean uh, i'm not gonna say that it's definitely down to you but you must have had <laughs> some sort of uh some sort of uh, kind of contribution towards that which is uh, well let's just say it is no i mean <laughs> the band had worked no one toured more than rise against no one and that was before i was in the band i couldn't they were in a van and a trailer and they were just constantly constantly and i remember bill even saying like god damn you know bill's a guy that's toured his whole life you know black Mm, flag the descendants and all never stopped all never stopped all toured for the 90s you know (laughs) they're just gone and even he was like fucking rise against jesus christ they don't they never come home so there was so much work 
and they were only together seven years before I joined the band. Mm-hmm. But those seven years, they hardly ever went home. And then so when I joined, it was just time, you know, that Suffer and the Witness record. I joined about halfway through the touring for that process. And it was just a it was happening, you know, Prayer of the Refugee, Ready to Fall, Swing Life Away have been a huge hit off of the Suffer and the Witness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, the Siren Song record. And it was just it was a layup, you know. So then when we did Appeal to Reason with the song Savior, which was the song, mm-hmm. still is. And I knew when Tim brought that song into practice, it was fully done. And we were just like, fuck, you know. So it was just a layup, you know. I mean, and it's also on the strength of Tim McElrath writes great songs. You know, he just does. And and were you involved in the songwriting from the start or was it a gradual process of bedding in or? It's always been it's it's still that sort of process of you know whatever you got you know like submit it you know mm-hmm. if it works it works and if it doesn't it doesn't you know mm-hmm. joe from the beginning always wrote sort of the fast songs you know right. the sort of bad religiony faster hardcore songs mm-hmm. uh so that's always ever present but then as far as those songs savior re-education through labor those things those are those are tim you know mm-hmm. and i bring in what i got you know what i mean um, mm-hmm. i've always been a major writing force in every other project i've ever been in this one didn't need it as much for sure but i do love writing in that voice you know mm-hmm. so but it's again it's always that thing of whatever you got let's let's hear it you know, you know let's go yeah and i suppose as well playing in bands from different almost completely different worlds if you like but certainly different genres that really rounds your your own voice out does yeah. it um, yeah, and you can sure. kind of you can bring fresh ideas from elsewhere into these right bands. from different perspectives you know heavier bands uh major key poppy punk kind of whatever it might be yeah. mm. and so how does how does it work on a kind of when you're off tour because the the guys are all from chicago originally do they still live up that way are they all over the country like tim and joe are in chicago opposite suburbs of chicago brandon our drummers in denver and then i'm in austin texas so with the way we do it it's just you know we know when we're going to get together and we just sort of prepare and then we get together in chicago still Mm. and we'll be up there for two weeks whether it's writing or rehearsing for a tour or whatever it might be so it's a lot of chicago we go there a lot okay i realize we're coming up on the 40 minutes but uh I'm just going to get a couple of extra questions in, if you don't mind. Um, There's a couple I wanted to get to specifically, like you've put the time in obviously, but how is your kind of relationship with drive? Is it something you've built up over the years or is it just in you anyway? And what, what are your kind of goals as a musician, songwriter, performer? You mean like, like drive, just like having having it Um, in you and needing to get it out, you know? It's been a thing that, it's not something I've ever really given thought because I think that there are people that sort of have to force themselves to be driven. Mm. And then there's people that just are naturally more driven than the average folk. You know, Mm. maybe they have whatever that chemical is that you need. Like there's some people, more people have more testosterone than other people or whatever it might be. I've always been a person that glass is always half full I've never been depressive, thankfully, but, you know, I mean, uh, most people are, uh, I mean, as much as the next, but, you know, I, I, I can get, but I find that there's always something motivating me every morning that I need to do every day to, and I feel like it's like to sort of earn my keep, to earn this space that I've been privileged enough to have. 
Mm. So it's easy when it comes to that. I don't ever want to sort of sit back and just go, well, done, you know, because I'm not, I, I never will be, you know, during the pandemic, I took classes at Berkeley wow. to learn a different style of guitar playing. Just those types of things. I feel like I always need to be doing that. There's always something more to learn, right? Yeah, ex- absolutely. But, you know, if you get bored of one thing, there's always another thing. I'm a writer and a guitar player. So I'll never quit learning how to more things about guitar and writing is pulling a thread, you know, of a ball of yarn that never stopped. So mm-hmm. if you're getting creative block writing, just pivot, you know, for me. And I love that. I love that there are those kind of, those possibilities and it all has something to do with the greater good of what I do, the bigger picture of what I do. Mm-hmm. I love that. Kind of artistic, anything artistic feeds the next thing. It's like, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Being uh, the life of an artist, I, I couldn't imagine doing it. I, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I think I've, that's been the theme of this is just letting you know how happy I am that I I get to to do what I do. Yeah. Um, but I'm always, always working on writing. I write every day. Right. You know, okay. I'm not a lyricist, but I, I write music all, you know, every day, all the time. Mm. And yeah. do you, do you kind of keep current with what's going on in music with the new bands coming through or new artists coming through? Uh, yeah. Or do you have time? <laughs> I've been sort of obsessed with uh, JD Beck and Domi lately. Okay. I don't know if you know who they are. No, they're don't. like a, it's like a jazz fusion thing, but they're kids. Right. Domi is a French keyboardist. And she's 22. And J.D. Beck is from Dallas, actually. He's a 19-year-old kid, drummer. And they're just a duo. And it's this, like, it sounds like Weather Report from the 70s, like Jazz Fusion, Chick Corea, you know, um, Stanley Clark. It's unbelievable. And Mitski, the uh, singer-songwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been really into Mitski lately. So, yeah, I'm always trying to keep my eyes and ears peeled for for new stuff, you know, because thankfully with the wonders of the Shazam app, you know, you can just hear something in a coffee shop or whatever and just go, what is this, you know, and then just get it, Uh, which I find myself doing all the time. I feel like you have to. Nothing is more is less interesting to me than, okay, I'm in what some people would call a punk rock band. I know guys in my ilk, in my genre, and I know guys, they only listen to punk rock. Yeah. And I tend to walk away from them in conversations. I don't, I don't know what to say to them. Well, it's people with blinkers on, isn't it? Exactly. Well, it's just, it's, it's just willfully ignorant. And in, in my opinion, and I, if I should be so bold, it's like, go ahead. That uh, taste is taste is taste. It's your opinion. But I couldn't imagine that, you know, mm. nothing. If you notice, I don't have many, punk rock guitar players on my podcast Mm. i have the ones that i think are unbelievable like stefan and brian baker but i want guys that play the traditionalized version of punk rock which was you know in spirit and in ethos and not in this sort of what the 90s did to punk rock which was homogenized it and made it this sort of cookie cutter thing where every band sounded the fucking same yeah because when you go back to the origins of punk rock it was like the ramones didn't sound like blondie didn't sound like talking heads didn't sound like the sex pistols you took the words out of my mouth is exactly what i've always said (laughs) didn't sound like minor threat didn't sound like yeah yeah like the germs and there are bands that still do that and that's what interests me Mm. and i know people would say you know contradict me and say oh but you're in a band called rise against that you know has these big radio singles and you know whatever I mean, we are a band that has established a sound. We are the best rise against that there is, but, and we know who we are. We know what, what we do, 
But as far as an artist, for me, I am compelled by people that are still pushing their own envelope and reinventing themselves in their own little corner of the world. And maybe they're not getting enough recognition for that. And they're not doing it for that. They're doing it because they are artists and they have to keep creating and they have to keep doing it for themselves. Uh, that's what interests me. I've always thought punk is an attitude. It wasn't a style. It's not a genre. Absolutely. What could be more punk than establishing yourself as an artist and then going, okay, I'm going to do something different on this next one, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we have the ability to do that. And I, I, I think that's endlessly compelling, mm. uh, way more compelling than, than, you know, the, my ilk, I guess, <laughs> uh, the, the sort of spoils uh, and what some other people have done, you know. But even so, I would say that Rise Against is kind of, you know, from the first album to the most recent album, uh, Nowhere Generation, like the sound has evolved and broadened. And I actually like not just to blow smoke, but I think Nowhere Generation is one of the best Rise Against albums yet. And I've been a fan since Siren Song of the Counterculture. So I, I know I've listened to it all. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Getting ready for this, I've kind of listened to the back catalogue. I listened to Hagfish. I listened to a bit of Guar. Guar's not really my particular thing, but I can still oh, I appreciate the workmanship that goes into it. You know, Guar wasn't my thing particularly either. You know, I was. I'm. I'm still a death metal thrash person. Like, still for sure. Yeah, right. I still listen to all those records and then I was into when I was a kid. But when I was in the band, I wanted to make a record that was less about characters and storyline and more just about good, like thrash metal, speed metal. Yeah. And that's that record violence has arrived is definitely that it was like the return to form for them. Mm. And I'm really proud to have been part of it, but Hey, thank you for listening to all that stuff. I, I, I appreciate it. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I hope if anything, my career is and my work has shown that in me that I never was one to sort of coast or sit on my laurels or, I was always trying to push myself creatively. And I yeah. think it certainly comes across in this, uh, in this, uh, in this interview now. I mean, I can well, feel it you. coming through the screen at me, you know? Um, yeah. So finally, you know, really looking forward to seeing what, what is ahead, but what's the next thing for you now? Obviously house renovation at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, we have some things next year. Rise Against does. Uh, I don't know exactly what is announced yet, so I can't, you know, sure. it won't be as busy as this year. This year was a lot. We were touring all year. But there are some things coming up to for everyone to stay stay posted. Grand. Okay. Well, Zach, you're a busy guy. I know you've got to get on and do some stuff. So, but thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Yeah, and thanks for having me. me. What a cool way to to have met. And uh, yeah, hopefully Indeed. I'll see you on a ferry from Paris to uh, England again someday. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I hope to see you on the next yeah, yeah. tour, man. Take care. All right, buddy. Take care, man. <laughs> see ya. You too. There you go, what a nice guy Zach is, right? I'm so thankful to him for talking to me at all, let alone giving me so much time, which I just may have pushed past his original 40 minute limit. I couldn't help it. I could have gone on for another hour with all the questions I had written down. I hope you enjoyed listening to that chat as much as I did having it. And if you have any additional questions, perhaps I'll be able to entice him back on in future and put them to him. Until then, if you want more Zach chat, go and subscribe to his podcast, Antiheroes with Zach Blair, and let him know I sent you, so he knows that you heard him here, and he knows this is a good place for him to come back to. Do also leave a rating and review of both podcasts, as it really helps us get more eyes on the podcast when you search for them online. But until next time, take very good care of yourself, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
thank you for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.